shining a beacon on the bazaar. Bloody hell, Arkin, it's brass monkeys oh, out there. Oh, get in, get in, put wood in. Oh, oh Jesus. Got it slammed there. Oh, that's, that's oh God, that's a nasty, dirty day. It's raining sideways out there, Arkin. Oh, get your oil slicks off. I'll get brooms on. Jesus. I tell you what, though, it's it's that thing now he sees. He's come up towards spring, so a bit of rain, bit of thing. He's doing lovely things for your little garden. It is good for the garden. <laughs> it's lovely, nice. and it's looking real pretty. Yeah, all the little shoots are coming up, all the little daffodils. Exactly. And I tell you Snow what. Snowdrops and all, seen oh, them. They are, they're all out, aren't yeah. Crocus. And I tell you, we don't half make those little gnomes out there look all jolly. What little, what little gnomes? Those little garden gnomes you put outside, they're all over the place. Aren't I they? haven't been to a garden centre, I haven't got any gnomes, no, what do you what mean? What do you mean you've not been to a garden centre? <laughs> <laughs> they're all fucking time. <laughs> well, this is my favourite place to shop. <laughs> no, what gnomes? What are you on about gnomes? There's loads of gnomes out there. Loads of them? Yeah. Mate, I ain't done it. I ain't. Oh what that little God. pop gnomes? Well, it's hard to tell. They're all painted with the little red hats and little Ugh, green jackets. That's, that's creepy, Arkid. Do you think somebody's put them there? I don't know. I don't really know much about gnomes. Why, why do we have them in this fucking garden anyway? Oh, I don't know. But this is the problem now. We've got an infestation of gnomes! <laughs> and the last thing we need is an infestation of gnomes at Crook and Cove, the podcast <laughs> that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. <laughs> Hi, Matt. I'm Benny. And we're in a bit of trouble this week because we've been infested by gnomes, it God, seems. God, I'm not going back out there, mate, until you know more about them. I don't them. know fuck all about gnomes. No, what the fuck are they? Well, tell you what, I'll do a bit of research. Right, I now know all we need to know about gnomes. All of it? All of it? In that little time, well researched, our kid. Yeah, it's all right. So what we should do, perhaps we should do a bit of a casting in one direction this week. Oh. Gnome wood. <laughs> Gnome wood bound. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I think we need to find out what the fuck is going on in our garden. Yes. And in the gardens across the country, and perhaps even across the world. I think they are pretty worldwide, are they? I've seen them in America, I'm sure I've seen yeah, them. Yeah, they've been in America and stuff like that, but you know, maybe they're further afield than you even know. Ooh, even gnome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's a gnome joke. Oh, oh no, no more. No, no! <laughs> <laughs> I reckon the best way to start is probably something which might be a little bit related here and there, which is a, a bit of a Tolkien-esque sort of like phrase, which is, you know, the best place to begin is at the beginning. You know? <laughs> yes. it's, it's that kind of malarkey, because, you know, I think we're going to have a little brush with Tolkien along the way. It's got to be in there somewhere, isn't it, with little yeah, fun? well, I think so, yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of a malarkey, but perhaps not where you think, mm. which is even more interesting, really. And, but that's that's always the joy about the whole subject of gnomes, to be fair. You the joy. The joy of the gnomes, <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I have owned various gnomes. Have you? Them. I've yeah. never had a gnome. Yeah, I find them a bit creepy, to be honest with you. Like, they're going to move around and stuff on a night. Well, no wonder. Look at our bloody front garden. Exactly, mate. yeah. <laughs> like, there is something creepy about them, very yeah. much creepy about them. Um, but, what, but 
perhaps what we need to do is have a little look at... Let's start at the start, like I say, with names. Mm. So this is just straight away from uh, from Wikipedia. Let's, yeah. let's start there. That's a pretty easy sort of thing, right? So garden gnomes are the German Gartenzweig, oh. right? It means garden dwarves. Right. A lawn ornament figurines of small humanoid creatures based on the mythological creature and diminutive spirit which occur in Renaissance magic and alchemy known as gnomes <laughs> <laughs> and they also draw the German folklore of the dwarf right. so that's where it sort of skims towards that now that's the side right. of things which I find particularly interesting you know and for those people who don't really know what a gnome is um, I'm sure many people do but then it's, it's presumptuous of us to think they do yeah Traditionally, the garden figurines depict male dwarves wearing red pointy hats. Typically, gnomes stand between one and two feet tall, right, which is 30 or 60 centimetres in height. And they're originating as a decoration for the wealthy in Europe. They were seen as something of high-class <laughs> status. Oh, yeah. In that low, is it? Shit. <laughs> now, garden gnomes are now prevalent in gardens and lawns through the Western world amongst all social classes and are often regarded as kitsch. You know, yeah, yeah. and they have got kitschy, but I think of all the kitsch things that you can have in a garden. I like a garden flamingo, personally. That's, that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. is pretty cool, isn't yeah. it? I like a garden flamingo, <laughs> but I do like a little gnome. Yeah, I do like a, a little partial. Gnome, you know? But when do you think they started? You know what I mean? If you think sort of like it can't be that long ago. I'd say like turn of the century. Turn of the century. Well. The ancient predecessors of the Garden Gnome were started in ancient Rome. What? <laughs> That's <laughs> No then, way. So, yeah, because what it was is uh, in ancient Rome they had small stone statues depicting the Greco-Roman fertility god Priapus. Right. right. So that is the first one. It was also the he was also known as the protector of floors and were frequently placed in Roman gardens. Now, if you think protector of floors, it might not be a big thing sort of here and there. You know, yeah, you've got yeah. a bit of lino down, or you know, you know, <laughs> nice, nice bit of wool carpet. You know, nice shag carpet. But if you think of what Roman floors were like, oh, they were like little mosaic type. Mosaics were uh, extremely expensive, and yeah. so they wanted something which was. Don't want to drop your bowling ball on them. No, floors, you do you? not <laughs> want to drop your bowling ball on that. So would you like a little? Look and see what a priapus so looks this, like. So this is it. Let's have a this is, this is that what their gnomes look like. Right. Oh, whoa! <laughs> he's showing off, isn't he? Look at Bloody that lad. Hell. He's well proud. So basically, the Roman god of pre oh, look at his cock. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Whoa! There's another good one. <laughs> Just oh, he's double-handed. He's got two. Yeah, I think he's got two. Yeah. He's knackers as well. Yeah. Look, look at that bad lad. He's holding all his stuff up with his dick. Oh. <laughs> so basically, the Roman god Priapus was a fertility <laughs> god. It's like he's carrying his shopping home with his cock. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> so that's basically what Priapus was, you know. Wow. He was the, the so the very first sort kind of gnome and a massive wanger on I it. want gnomes with cocks. <laughs> so gnomes, gnomes are magic... Um, <laughs> So gnomes as magical creatures, which is sort of like the belief system we have now, right, were first described during the Renaissance period by Swiss alchemist Paracelsus, or Paracelsus, as diminutive figures two spans in height who did not like to mix with humans. So spans roughly around a foot, I believe, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's about two foot high. And during this period, stone 
grotesques, which were typically garishly painted, about one metre tall, which is about three foot high, uh, that were commonly placed in the gardens of the wealthy. Amongst the figures depicted were Gobbi, an Italian for hunchbacks All right. at the time. Right. So in particular, Jacques Calotte produced 21 versions of Gobbi, which he engraved and printed in 1616. What's so, his name again? Gob, uh, uh, Jacques Calot. Oh, sorry, Gobby. Gobby, yeah, yeah Gobby. Gobby. So, What's that one in Harry Potter? There's one in there, isn't it? Dobby, yeah. the elf. Weirdly enough, that will come up again. Oh. So we are going to look at it. Keep, but let's pop a pin in that. Oh. <laughs> As a lot of podcasters say. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the interesting thing with actually uh, the Paracelsus or Paracelsus character, this Swiss alchemist, he thought of the uh, gnome as being one of like almost like four, I think it was four elementals. So the gnome is of the earth, uh, and there is the uh, I think it's like a like a sylph is a, is an elemental of the air. Um, the salamander oh, wow. was was like a creature of fire. Yeah, yeah. And I, the, and I can't remember the water one now. There was a, it's not selkie, but it's something like that. And he believed that these four four creatures or four sort of yeah. spirit beasts yeah, would yeah. sort of like. And he believed, and he, the way he, he talked about it was that these um, the gnome. Could th- go through earth like we go through air. Wow! That's how sort of like swiftly the gnome could travel around and get well, about. Like dig or just like magically like go through the well, earth. Well, weirdly enough, it's something like we were talking about in a past episode where you sort of think if you look at the density of certain gases, planets, yeah. things like that. You know, I mean, what might seem like we, when we talked about water, yeah, like yeah. the aliens, sort yeah, of like, yeah, not just not feeling it at all. Not feeling it. At all. It might yeah. be the case that this particular creature. Yeah. Just doesn't see his way through. Yeah, it. just well, rather than, yeah, just pushes its way through. Basically, just it, it's it's so powerful and strong and dense uh, as a thing. It might yeah. see that the density of soil and earth is almost nothing. To <laughs> That's it. really cute. A little fat gnome just going through <laughs> earth, right? Busy. But I have heard this before about the density of certain sort of spirit creatures, little spirit creatures. Wow. Um, and in fact. If I remember rightly, now we are going back a good few episodes now, but just on top of the old dome, yeah. you remember the um, Native American stick? Yeah, men? yeah, they're stuck, they're stuck with me. Yeah, they? well, if you remember when they were, what they described, the little pot-bellied characters yeah. who incredibly had could sling cows about yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, God, you're right. Who's to say they weren't gnomes? Oh, Red Indian gnomes. Yeah, oh, that's it. we don't really say Red Indian. Anymore. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm such a cancellor. <laughs> I think it's all right, though, because I have actually heard recently some Native Americans referring to themselves as Red Indians, yeah, which, yeah. I, which I, I thought, well, I don't know where to stand anymore. Yeah, but, you know, I don't, but it makes sense not to call them yeah, that. So also, yeah, it. that's that's true, is that you know? So by the late 1700s, gnome-like statues made of wood or porcelain called gnomes uh, became popular household decorations, and the area surrounding the town of Brienz in Switzerland was known for their production of wooden house dwarves. <laughs> so you brought them all inside. <laughs> cool. It's quite nifty. Uh, in Germany, these garden figurines became uh, conflated with the traditional stories and superstitions about the little folk, or dwarves, that they believed helped around the mines and on the farm. The Dresden Company, Bayer and Maresch, had small ceramic statues of dwarves or little folk in stock as early as 1841. Wow. So that's sort of like we're knocking on the door 200 years ago, 180 yeah, yeah. years ago now, sort of thing, you know. And although the claim has been uh, contested, some credit Bayer and Maresh with the first garden dwarves. Right. So, the first garden dwarves being the garden gnome. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. So, they were super popular. 
But within less than 10 years, statues of dwarves had spread from the provinces of Saxony and Thuringia across Germany to France, and in 1847, Sir Charles Isham bought 21 terracotta gnomes manufactured in Germany by Philip Griebel back to England, where they were called gnomes in English, and placed in the gardens of Isham's home, Lampot Hall in Northamptonshire. And it was because it was Lampot Hall, it, this, these gnomes uh, were nicknamed Lampy. There's only one uh, gnome uh, survived, right, uh, oh. of these original garden gnomes from 1847. Wow. Right. So if you if you kicked over sort of like Lampy now and accidentally Jeez. smashed him, right, how much do you think you'd have to pay? Oh, it's, it's old, isn't it? It's, it's old. So 1847 gnome, you know. 50 grand. One million pounds. Whoa! <laughs> Lampy the gnome is Jeez. worth one million pounds. Let's <laughs> see, that is a bit of history, isn't it, there? Has he got a fishing rod? Uh, some of them have, but I don't think Lampy does. I did put I will put a picture up on our uh, social media of what yeah. a Lampy looks like. like you know, we'll, we'll find Lampy for you. So the manufacture of gnomes spread across Germany with numerous other large and small manufacturers coming in and out of the business, each having its own particular style of design. So this is another thing. You had like signature gnomes, almost like you have like the Stife Bear. Yeah, you know, yeah. Which is, for those who don't know, the Stife Bear is a particular kind of bear. With its, it did have a little hunch to start with. Yeah. And it had yeah. a particular shape of foot, which was like ah. a proper foot-shaped foot. But wow. the most common characteristic for a Stife Bear was a, a brass stud in the ear. Wow, so you can have a little, punk. yeah. <laughs> well, you could feel what you could feel for it. So, you, for example, yeah. if you're looking like a, for for a nice bear for a, a relative, yeah, yeah and they still make stife bears now. Yeah. Um, you'd have a little fondle of the ear. If you find a brass stud, you think, oh, it could be a stife, you wow. know. So, and uh, some of those stife bears are worth the same as yeah. same as lampy. They're worth by a million quid. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, garden gnomes spread to other countries in Europe in eight, the 1840s and became particularly popular in France and Britain. Uh, the use of the term garden name originated from the fact that German catalogues sold ornaments of dwarves under the name Gnomen figuren, meaning miniature figurines. Right. So Gnomen or Gnomen sort of thing. Miniature. Miniature, yeah. Oh, fascinating. So that's the thing. But that might not be the place where the term came from. So garden gnomes were further popularised when Sir Frank Crisp, <laughs> the owner of the second largest collection of garden gnomes in the UK, opened his Friar Park. Henley on Thames Estate to the public at least once a week from 1910 to 1919. <laughs> so people could come in and have a look at his massive collection of gnomes, you know. <laughs> it was here that uh, garden enthusiasts and visitors from around the world perhaps saw garden gnomes for the first time. Right, yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, I think even then they were an expensive commodity. They were shipped yeah. in from Germany. They were the luxurious thing sort of to have a gnome. It's weird. Though. Are they having them for good luck? Or are they just having them for that ornament? You know what I mean? Is it a bit of both? Is, well, is do you know something? It was something I'm going to cover a little bit later on. I think I think we will. Uh, but we'll 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 just tap on it now. Yeah. I personally think that they appeal so much because I actually think they might have been a part of our lives for Ooh. perhaps as long as we've been about that I think if yeah. we're talking about potential spirit beings yeah, yeah. I think the gnome has been with us <laughs> and I think somebody's made made the gnome for fun yeah, yeah. and says well go on we'll make a little gnome and everyone goes I know that yeah, that's there's just something in the back of your memory somewhere. That's it. This is why we like, a, you know, we find certain creatures cute, or we find yeah. certain things nice. It's because it's familiarity, and it's something that and we love a gnome. And we love a little gnome. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think the gnomes are there. You know, sweet. <laughs> so that's why I think. So the reputation of um, gnomes declined after World War One. Oh. 
But <laughs> they became popular again in the 1930s following Disney's animated film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Nice, pulled it back. Yep. And when more working class people were able to purchase them. Yeah. So all the people who might have gone, the posh people gone and seen this ornamental garden, right, with Sir Frank Crisp and his lovely gnome collection. <laughs> Ordinary people saw for the first time proper gnomes or dwarves yeah. in, the, in the movies. They'd go up the high street or yeah, wherever it's in the yeah. town, they'd go see a film and they'd see Snow White in, you know, 1930s classic. Wow, that's that's a film that's nearly 100 years old. That is mental, isn't it? It is mental, you like know. And, and, and they, they saw them for the first, perhaps saw them for the first time, you know. Yeah. And so more working class people, like I say, sort of like went to purchase them. So then uh, a Tom Major Ball was... <laughs> Major Ball? <laughs> Tom Major Ball was the most notable producer at the time with his company's Major's Garden Ornaments. Oh, God, I didn't get a right? ball in there. So, but Tom Major Ball... <laughs> Jesus. Was the father of John Major, the Prime Minister. <laughs> and he's a grey old knackersack anyway, isn't he? <laughs> like, he looks a bit like an unpainted gnome. <laughs> Although I have to say, John Major at the moment, he's, he's been proved totally statesmanly recently. I don't Is it? I don't In know. politics, yeah. He's, I always think Prime Minister best when they've been ousted and yeah. they're no longer a Prime Minister because they can speak the mind of it. Right, yeah. And so he's observed politics from every side of it, every angle. And now he's been a, a, a major critic of uh, Boris Johnson. Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, uh, and, and he's yeah, and he's sort of saying how things should be done, and I think mm. it should be run a little bit, uh, which you can't necessarily say while you're actually on the driving seat. Yeah, you know, yeah, the, he's, the, he's the wheel. Out, no. But he has got a funny lip. He's like a little lion, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's a bit <laughs> of a strange character. But let's not yeah. just go on looks, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> it looks a bit of a hunty back to me. <laughs> <laughs> back to gnomes. Back to gnomes. So, but apparently, like World War Two put a stop to the old gnome thing because we, we were making too many busy. other things. A bit busy. <laughs> we, had, we had a lot on at the moment. And the fact that gnomes came from Germany might not have helped, might Yeah, it? it might have slowed that production down, yeah. So, apparently, garden gnomes saw a resurgence in popularity again in the 1970s with the creation of more humorous types of gnome. Ah, right, yeah. So, that kind of classic gnome. The classic fishing. gnome fishing, doing stuff. But if you think as well, there was a little bit of a resurgence of rude gnomes. Oh. Gnomes with their dicks out. Were there? There was. Oof, saucy little saucy, fruity names. Yeah. Like, oh, at it, sort of like, yeah. sort of like busty lady gnomes. Uh, and busty that. lady gnomes. Yeah, there was lots of stuff Ooh. going on. But you basically have, like, fun little gnomes with a wheelbarrow, yeah. fishing rod, various yeah. things like this. He's got little shovel over his shoulder and smoking a pipe or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. you know, and I think this is what um, what was the big attraction of gnomes at the time. You know, you just yeah. sort of like a little bit of fun in the garden, isn't it? Yeah, you know? I suppose. Yeah, I quite like it. I love that they keep coming back, though. You're right. There's summer here, isn't there? It's, you know, it's... yeah. The, the gnomes are here to stay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so apparently, uh, Philip Griebel's descendants are still producing garden gnomes in Germany, and as of 2008, how many garden gnomes do you think are in Germany? Have a guess. Oh God. Two million. 25 million. Oh my God, they love them, don't they? <laughs> they love the garden, no. Wow. But I think it actually does fit in with the German uh, sense of humour, in a way. I didn't know they had one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know, I've just heard of that. That's, well, that's there is, really there is bad a truth in that, but I think there is a very... Um, the, 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 the German sense of humour is, is they love a lot of our humour. Oh, yeah. They find they find their you know toilet humour. Yeah. yeah, well, toilet humour's massive in Germany. Yeah. It really is. So the idea of like a little garden gnome on a toilet is probably immensely humorous yeah. to, to a lot of Germans. <laughs> quite funny it was. To yeah, be fair, true, you know what yeah. I mean? Taking we have got, a dump. I think, I think there's a few people across the world that we have a lot more in common with than we even know about. Yeah, mainly yeah. 
Japanese yeah. and the Germans were very, yeah. very got a very similar sort of, sort of side. I felt it in Thailand. I really did feel uh, the, the one foreign at all, and then I met other people, you know, like from Europe, and I felt that like they were so foreign. Yeah. And I felt a lot of his humour and the simple stuff. I felt real kinship with Thai people. Well, the, the place I felt more of a sort of stranger in a strange land in when I've been out and about. Yeah. I'm, I'm travel loads, but it's like it was Ireland. Wow. I, I just didn't feel that the psyche of the Irish was completely different, <laughs> and the way yeah. their approach to everything was so totally different. You know wow, what I mean? Because yeah. I, I, I can remember we went into a town once uh, where there's a museum. It's called the Hunt Museum, yeah. and I've been down to go there. There were amazing things in it, you know. And I'm looking out this the Hunt Museum, you know, and uh, and I'm looking out for signs and everything, and and, and we're driving into town, and then. And then the museum was suddenly there. There was no sign sort of telling you about it or yeah. anything, you know. And we went past it, <laughs> looking for somewhere to park, and then a big banner right across the, the street, right? Uh-huh. It said, The Hunt Museum, behind you on your left. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that is great. I like that. And when we first landed, we landed in Ireland uh, on a, a midnight ferry. Yeah. And yeah. there was no taxis, there was no buses, no wow. nowhere. We basically climbed off this ferry. The ferry went away. There was me and my mate and this other lad who were a bit of a stoner. We didn't even know. Yeah. And we were sort of saying, well, what we're going to do? There's nowhere to stay. Oh my god. And when we're at midnight, what we're going to do? We had camping gear with us, but yeah. we're in a, in a town. Yeah. And um, this, I think it was a policeman came past. Yeah. And he sort of said to us, this is, uh, what you doing there, lads? Sort yeah. of thing, you know, the garda. And he says, oh, we just haven't got anywhere to stay. We've just arrived off the ferry. Yeah. I says, he goes, have you got tents? And you're like, <laughs> I said, well, yes. It's, well, just a bit of grass over there. Just pitch up. But I haven't seen you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I thought it was a nice little bit of grass. So we pitched up on this piece of grass, right? Yeah. And um, all three of us climbed into a one man set. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm in sleep. So we just sort of got, fell it. These two lads, my mate and this other, skin up in oh. turn the fucking thing into a bong. <laughs> what are policemen's about? Yeah. Like? Oh, yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so, part way through at night, there's a knock on tent, you know what I mean? More police, right? Oh, so, what are you doing there, lads? So, oh, we just didn't have anywhere to stay. And we, we just tried to. Oh, right, okay, fair, fair, fair enough. Though. Be sure as soon as it lights up, just yeah. take your tent down, off you go. I haven't seen you. <laughs> right. I think. That the whole of the Garda, the Irish police, I think they're all blind. Because <laughs> <laughs> they haven't seen fuck all. <laughs> they just don't see it. Yeah. And anyway, in the morning, we thought we'd better you know, get up in the morning. Yeah. Anyway, we climbed out and realised where we pitched our tent uh, was on the front lawn of the Dunleary Royal Yacht Club. Right? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and they just sound with it. So just sound with it. Just, wow. just so we weren't causing any bother. We just needed somewhere to kick. We weren't yeah. causing aggro or getting pissed or anything. We were just. Yeah, travellers yeah, and, and everywhere we went in Ireland were kind of like that just yeah. the, even down to taxis not being there you know ferry comes you think oh I know where I'm going to get loads of money it's a far, fucking ferry landing yeah, this is it, yeah. <laughs> <You're dying around. laughs> but that's it so the German I think going back to it I think the German psyche is very yeah. much like it I don't, I'm not sure what the Irish approach to a garden home would be you know yeah, what I, mean? yeah. I think it would be either. we haven't fucking seen it <laughs> 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 Going back to sort of the um, one of the sort of uh, a different resource. Just uh, this is just a little snippet I found, which was there from the Encyclopedia Britannica. Nice and. Um, 
their description really goes, he says, the gnome is in European folklore. It's a dwarfish subterranean goblin <laughs> or earth spirit who guards mines of precious treasure hidden in the earth. He's represented in medieval mythologies as a small, physically deformed creature resembling a dry, gnarled old man. Gob, the king of the gnome race, ruled with a magic sword and is said to have influenced the melancholic temperament of man. So it can make you feel a bit down and gloomy, you know what I mean? <laughs> or it can make you feel up as well. It can right, yeah, he's got, can, the, power yeah, he's got the power of you know power of up and down. Yeah. <laughs> but once again, there's a little reference here to the Swiss alchemist uh, Paracelsus, uh, talking about how he said that the the gnomes were described as capable of moving through solid earth as a fish moves through water. Wow, that's think, so that's so cool, alone. That's it, yeah. But uh, which is uh, brings us to the actual Latin. Yeah. For for a term of uh, genomos, yeah. which means literally earth dweller. Wow. Now I wonder though, if you think about it, why would the Latins need the term earth yeah, dweller? Yeah. You know, and genomos. Yeah, you know, like make it all up. It's, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's all sort there, of something. There? I think there's something there. Mm. There's something something going on here, right? Now, this is where we do take ourselves to sort of like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I found this really quite interesting, this bit about it. It's because um, J.R.R. Tolkien was such a great scholar of so many sort of like uh, cultural references throughout the world for all sorts yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And he studied language, he studied cultures, and he was so fascinated by it, that's why he decided to incorporate a lot of his learnings and readings into his own world, Middle Earth, yeah, you yeah. know, um, as you well know. So gnomes were going to be, or if technically... I'll take that back. Let's say gnomes are in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But he renamed them. Yeah. So which creatures do you think are most gnome-like? You know I'd, I mean? I'd always go for dwarves, digging underground. and Well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's what I'd have thought. I thought, yeah. well, obviously, you got the underground, you got the dwarves. No. Oh, goblins, innit? You said goblin. It could be. Well, oh. king well, the goblin king, I think he was. Well, it might be Cockle. But again, no, which is mm. weird. The creatures... That um, uh, J.R. Tolkien was gonna call the dwarf, or when he was writing, referred to as the gnomes, were the Noldor, which you probably don't know, but they are actually the highest of the elves. Whoa! It says in the works of J.R. Tolkien, the Noldor um, mean uh, the word meaning those with knowledge. Right. Are kindreds of high elves who initially migrated to Valinor from Middle Earth and lived in Eldemar, the coastal region of Aman, and a continent that lay west of Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah. So when you know, when um, they sailed back home again, they sailed there. to the west. Yeah, That's yeah. it. The majority of the Noldor returned to Middle Earth following the murder of their first leader, Finwë, by the Dark Lord Morgoth, on the instigation of Finwë's eldest son, Fëanor. They were the second clan of the elves in both Ord and Sides, and the other clans being the Vanya and the Teleri. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is one of the most, well, as it describes here, among the elven people, the Noldor showed the greatest talents of in for intellectual pursuits, technical skills, and physical strength. <laughs> they go say fishing. I'm like, fucking hell, I've always got a fishing rod. <laughs> Smoking a pipe and pushing a wheelbarrow. Brilliant. <laughs> Yet they are prone to unchecked ambition and prideful behaviour. Mm. Now, they, again, stick a pin in that. Yeah, yeah. 
they're typical, typically have grey eyes and uh, grey eyes and dark hair. Though divergent physical features could be found among some individuals, right? So basically, I think they do appear in what's going to be coming up soon as well as the Silmarillion is going to be published ah, soon. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, what movie? Uh, oh. Yes, oh, I think wow. the Silmarillion movie. I think they're working on it already. Yeah. Um, have you ever read the Silmarillion? No, you warned me about it. Yeah. <laughs> no fucker has. <laughs> they can do what they want in this film because nobody's read the Silmarillion. D- DVDs are <laughs> read it. This uh, Van Driver Dave, uh, right. and he's well into talking. He's actually read it, and he, you know oh he's really up to school, really impressed. Like, what you read it? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I've read it a couple of times. A couple like, of times. Oh, Maybe he's well in. He's got figurines and all that shit. All oh, right, mean? yeah, he's well into it. But, is he alright or is he a bit <laughs> no he's sound if you had to describe him he looks like fucking Sean Connery in uh, Highlander <laughs> but not the clothes <laughs> not the big outfit he's just the tan and the beard he was like god he looks like Sean Connery it's the quickening <laughs> <laughs> you cannot die McLeod <laughs> that Spanish act I'm 300 years old <laughs> <laughs> Come on then, my cloud. Let's have a wrestle. <laughs> Who's the woman? She's mine. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Well, he's, he, well, maybe what we'll do is just after him give us, give us a bit of a rundown. Of Run, yeah, yeah. I've tried to read it. I own it. I own yeah. a nice edition of the Silmarillion. But nice. man alive, it's a dry effort yeah, to read. Yeah. yeah the, well, he's, he's skipping about millions of years and stuff in it. Oh, thousands there's, of yeah, years. there's thousands of years, and there's loads of like the. Um, uh, I forgot the name of the. Pa- I can't remember the name of the globes. They have like a uh, like a special seeing globe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. And I think they do appear in the Lord of the Rings movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a palanquin or something like that. I can't remember the name of it. Um, and they're important. And there's loads of stuff. It's just basically just family trees of elves, dwarves, people, and all oh, sorts no, of shit. Lord of the Rings could be like that reading book. They're a bit oh. of son of so and so, son of that. I was yeah. like, fucking hell, I can't remember all these names. Yeah. It looks like... Well, I, before the internet, really, I could read all this sort of shit. Yeah. As soon as the internet came, well, that my attention span's gonna yeah, right out the window. Yeah, I think everybody's had. I feel yeah. bad for young ones, you know what I mean? They really ain't. We're not gonna it. sit down with a book that size anymore. Yeah, and it's yeah. a bit of a shame, you know. But yes, yeah, so that's that's was it he was gonna call. So it shows what how what high regard he he held the gnome in. Yeah. And also, I think it also reflects more that I mean we're skimming the surface here about gnomes a little bit yeah. um, because we're just looking at what there could be about you know we're covering it about an hour or so you yeah. know? whereas he's researched much much deeper into yeah. the social histories of creatures of that time exactly and making them like the coolest creature the elves it's like that's, I would never have guessed that I would have gone through the, everything else exactly well that's it you'd gone through all the sort of like uh, all, all, like mm. hobbits and all the little creatures and exactly, stuff before, yeah. you, before you got there yeah but really what we um one thing I looked at was the Nisa. Mm. Now the Nisa in, uh, is Danish and in uh, and Norwegian as well. And there's um, the Tomte in Swedish, and the Tomtenisa or Tontu in uh, Finnish. And it's a mythological creature from Nordic folklore. Today, typically associated with the winter solstice and the Christmas season, right? Mm. And this is the description of them. They are generally described as being short, having a long white beard, and wearing a conical or knit cap in grey, red or some other bright colour. They often have the appearance of somewhat similar to that of the garden gnome. Mm-hmm. So that's really what they boil down to, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, um, the, and these all link together, these these particular creatures, right? The, apparently the Norge- Norwegian Tufta is also sort of similar to this sort of creature. 
And they describe them being like a household spirit or a yeah. guardian of farms and things. Right, so yeah. what everything I'm reading about with gnomes, they get closer and closer to being of the home, of yeah. the field, of the garden. Of the floor. Of the floor, exactly. Yeah. There is spirit which is very much cleaved to the human habitation and where we live. Yeah. Um, time and time again, you know. It was like the Irish little folk as well, isn't it? And you know, in the house when you did you leave milk out for us? It just bumped back in my head with the Irish with them. Well, we again, uh, as we keep doing, uh, I'm going to give you a handful of pins to put oh, out. <laughs> lovely. So this is this is true, but it isn't actually with the Irish. I right. don't think that the Irish and their uh, the Elven or the Fair, they yeah. they were very much. The idea of them being in the house was absolutely oh yeah. fuck we have elves sort of thing yeah. you know or pixies or, or sort of like a, <laughs> oh, fuck. because like the leprechaun uh, yeah. of the of Irish, the Irish thing it is gnome like but he's a lot more troublesome. Mate, I've seen the movies. He's well out of fucking He's well scary. <laughs> but that I think the reason why he is because it wasn't as. Uh, you, it could be a lot more, a lot more of a two-sided coin with yeah, things like certain yeah. certain sort of elven folk or creatures yeah. like that. There could be a danger. Oh, there could be, you know. Mm. But again, we're going to de- delve into that a little bit as well. H.L. Brackstad uh, chose to substitute Nisa um, in his dictionaries of these these folk, right? Mm. Uh, in 1881, uh, with the word brownie. Yeah, no, I've heard of brownies have, before. Yeah, yeah, more yeah. like in the woods and stuff like that. That's yeah. it, like a little woodland. Well, yeah. well, again, we'll have a little look at this because um, there's another dictionary as well, Brangelson's uh, dictionary. He, he changed Nisa again of the of the folklore of the Danish people. He sort of translated it roughly as goblin or hobgoblin. Wow, which I found very interesting because yeah. I think there's time and again you get goblins, gnomes, things yeah, sort of like yeah. this. Sort of like all these are crossover with all this sort of yeah, malarkey, definitely. you know. And I think it, even to the point where I think they're sort of deciding whether they're good or bad yeah, off yeah. the fact of whether it's a good gnome, he's a good he's gnome, maybe it's bad he's yeah. a goblin. So yeah. they kind of rename it a little bit, you know. But the term Nisa uh, may derive from the old Norse of Nyosi, meaning. Dear little relative. Oh, that's cute, isn't it? Is. Another explanation is, is a corruption of Niels, the Scandinavian form of Nicholas. <gasps> so we're back to St. Nick potentially there. Wow. Your white beard, little bit, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the conjecture has been advanced that Nisa might be a relative to the Nixie. But this is a water sprite, and um, the proper cognate of this is Nuk, not Nice. But Pixie obviously could be sort of like uh, the Nixie is a bit like Pixie, isn't it? Yeah, as well, yeah. so there's all these these words of blend and form, and of course a lot of this stuff wasn't written down. It's fireside tales yeah, where people would tell yeah. one thing to another, and it could be a, a child has heard sort of like what were you, what were your granddad tell you about last night? Oh, we heard about the Nixie, the Nixie, the Pixie, the Pixie. The Pixie. He just yeah. he just sort of like moves on. A lot of these words are sort of like derivative. So of familiar, they're yeah. really so close, aren't they? That's there. right. Yeah. Terrible that rain's coming down, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So other names for it were the Tonte, which means homestead man, mm-hmm. uh, the Guardford, which means farm guardian, right. and Tuncall, which I like called yard fellow. <laughs> 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 and these are all associated names with a farmstead. So the Finnish Tontu is also derived from the term for a place of residence and area of influence, the house lot, which is the Tonte. Mm-hmm. So once again, what this is sort of bringing it down to is that the gnome or these little creatures and stuff were basically kicking around your house. Yeah, yeah. You know, in your garden, in your yard, and in the farm, helping out on farms yeah. and stuff like this. You know, <laughs> and I I found this incredibly fascinating. I yeah. thought, you know, well, but then that drove me then on to the next point, 
to look into, which was the brownie. So yes, I decided to investigate the brownie. Now I just thought, you know, the brownie for me. Uh, I've heard, I've read about the brownie a little bit, you know, yeah, just snippets. Yeah. And the main thing for me was I thought oh, it's quite interesting that the, the the scouting movement in the UK. Yeah. Uh, we have we have cubs for the yeah. little kids. Um, the very very little kids are beavers. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but for the um, obviously like girl little girls can become uh, uh, cubs and now they can get the cubs movement yeah, and, yeah. and join scouting move, which I think is great. You exactly. Across yeah. I'm not sure there's many lads joining the brownies or the guides. Yeah. I don't think it's going that way much. But yeah, I'm sure it's also. It, do they still exist in the brownies? In I don't know. I'm, yeah. I, I'm, I'm presuming so. I'm yeah. presuming so. You know. But um, basically, the uh, the groups, the brownies, were named after these particular sort of. Little, ah, is that yeah. where they got the name? From. That's where they got the name from. I always yeah. imagine brownies like tiny, you know, like just you know, like a couple of inches rather than big. Oh right, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, well, that's well this is what's going to be quite good fun, is this thing? Yeah. Because I looked at brownies and I thought, holy shit, there's <laughs> tons of information out there about oh, that, right. but so detailed. Yeah, yeah, it's mad, right? So let's have a little dive into the brownie. <laughs> right, so the brownie or bruni. As it's known in Scotland, right? <laughs> also known as a brunade or the gruacash, which is a Scottish Gaelic for it. Is now get this, it's a household spirit mm. from Scottish folklore that is said to come out at night while the owners of the house are asleep and perform various chores and farming tasks. So the human owners of the house must leave a bowl of milk or cream yeah. or some other offering for the brownie. This is what I have it, yeah. yeah, and it's usually by the half. Yeah, that's yeah. the main place where it goes. So brownies are described as easily offended <laughs> <laughs> and will leave their homes forever if they feel they've been insulted or in any way taken advantage of. Brownies are characteristically mischievous and are often said to punish or pull pranks on lazy servants. And if angered, they sometimes turn to malicious, turn malicious like oh. boggarts. Oh, I have heard of yeah. that. Yeah, deep. Well, well, we're not going to go into boggarts this yeah. one. But we'll do boggarts again because our house is a big believer in the boggart. Wow. Um, and it's a, we believe, and I've believed it for years that this because I've had a one incident where because the boggart just hides stuff. I've got to say, they love hiding remote controls, don't they? That's the sort of thing, yeah, that's it. It's, it's, it's the boggarts have been at you, you know. And you actually just have to ask out loud. You know, you say, look, will you put that back, please? Wow. And I'd had it in one of my other houses where I was doing the um, doing the laundry. Yeah. And uh, I it used to be, you know, like a, like a ball with a hole in it that you filled with your laundry detergent. Yes. That, yeah, yeah. That, one of those, those things that just kind of come out. Yeah. And I would kneel next to the washing machine and I put it down this thing, you know what I mean? And I thought, right, I got my laundry detergent out now. I went to go reach for this ball. Gone. I think oh, it's Jesus. Oh, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. You know. And I and I were in the house all alone and I just says, Can I please have that back now? You know. <sighs> and I'd literally looked just to my right and on the counter where it was just right, by my eye, it was there. And it was like uh, that wasn't there because I'd just been leaning on it. It was just there again. Whoa. I had to just wait. I thought, oh shit, the boggarts. <laughs> so I don't question it. I just yeah. think the boggarts can no, have it, you know. Yeah. Now the brownies originated as domestic tutelary spirits, right? Which means it's like a protector or guardian of the house. Right. Uh, and they're very similar to the lares, 
of ancient Roman tradition. Mm. Once again, we're knocking wow. back 2,000 years. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Now, description of brownies vary regionally, but they are usually described as ugly, brown-skinned and covered in hair. <laughs> in the oldest stories, the very oldest stories, they are usually human-sized or much larger. Wow. Now, think uh, about... crawling down your house at night. Well, it's true, but think as well about like the, the green man sort of thing. Yeah. Think about the Bigfoot sightings yeah. and things like this. What we've got here is a very, very <laughs> common spirit associated with ancient tales and stuff of a large... Hairy man. Wow. So that sort of brings us back as a God, sort of it's a minefield, this, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. But in more recent times, they've come to be seen as small and wizened. So mm. they're little. And I sort of toyed with the idea myself thinking about it. It's like, well, they're small and wizened. Is it a case they just got really, really old? <laughs> 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 but um, they're often capable of turning invisible and they sometimes appear in the shapes of animals. And they are always either naked or dressed in rags. Mm. And if a person attempts to present a brownie with clothing, or if a person attempts to baptise him, he will leave forever. Wow. Now, going back to your Harry Potter references, they have, yeah. like, Dobby the house elf, yeah. right? And the way to free a house elf is to give him a piece of clothing. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. so that's exactly yeah. the link to the brownie. She's obviously, J.K. Rowling has obviously decided to use that sort yeah. of mythology. Well, she stole it from everywhere, didn't yeah. she? Really? <laughs> it's true, but everything. She tied it up nice. Yeah, yeah. she tied it up nice. You know what I mean? A lot, a lot of people have really got it in for J.K. Rowling. I know, just leave her alone. Let her have her views. It's like fucking Nazis is all this bullshit. I'm yeah, I, I must admit, I'm, there's a lot, of, there's, a, there's a big pushback at the moment of sort of like a uh, cancel. I don't believe in cancelling. I don't. Stuff, you know? it's, it's, it's absolutely getting bollocks. scary. It's, it's, we shouldn't be doing that, that power it People enjoy it as well. It seems like well, it's the, power. Yeah, it's a and, pack. And I think I think it is a pack, and I think it's also people who I think everyone who's been disempowered or picked on or bullied or something or other. There's, there's always an inclination to turn. Yeah, and yeah. think oh, it's my turn now. Yeah, they're doing the out. same. What, yeah. the, the, it's horrible. I horrible. think the, all, all all views should be open to a certain yeah. extent, and and rather than being just cancelled, should be debated. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, be intellectually debated. debated. Yeah, yeah, and it should never be taken off the car, off the off the books. Yeah. But then, then sometimes, as we've seen with the internet, you know, you give a certain subject a certain amount of like um, hearing room. Mm. It does gain power and traction sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So it is difficult. But at the same time, we should never stop debating. We yeah, should always is, debate. Yeah. You know, that's that's my opinion. These things. So it says, although the name brownie originated as a dialectal word used only in the UK, it has since become the standard term for all such creatures throughout the UK and Ireland. And uh, the regional variants in England and Scotland include. Hobbs, mm. Silkies, Urusigs, and variants outside of Scotland are the, the Welsh Wabak, I don't know how to say that, and the Manx um, Fenodiri. Wow, so there's all these things, all these little creatures, all these things scuttling around, you know what <laughs> I mean? But so the brownies have also appeared outside of folklore, including John Milton's poem L'Allegro, uh, and they became popular in works of children's literature in the late 19th century and continue to appear in works of modern fantasy. And the Brownies in the Girl Guides are named after a short story by Juliana Horatia Ewing based on Brownie folklore. So they were actually sort of seen 
back in the day in the Roman times, this Laris or whatever it's called, you know, this particular sort of like little thing that the brownies are yeah, like. Yeah. Um, and as I said before, like a guardian spirit. But the reason I think of them as a guardian spirit is because I think they might be of deceased ancestors even. Ooh. So they're not just... That goes down to like Chinese, it's kind of a bit, doesn't it? You know, the ancestors in the house and, yeah. Maybe so. That's, mm. that's the thing. It could be that kind of sort of... Um, but they're sort of seen as regarded as solitary and devoted to serving the members of the house. So they really have that kind of, yeah, you servitude. know, servitude. Yeah, that's it, you know. And and again, meant to be the, the lares of Roman tradition are seen as hairy and dressed in rags. And are both said to demand offerings of food or dairy. Back mm, to what you were thinking. Keys, yeah. But brownies were associated with the dead. And a brownie is sometimes described as the ghost of a deceased servant who once worked in the home. The cold lad of Hilton, for mm -hmm. instance, was reputed to be the ghost of a stable boy who was murdered by one of the lords of Hilton Castle in a fit of passion. Oof. Those who saw him described him as a naked boy. <laughs> <laughs> was it a vicar? <laughs> I've just seen the cold lad of Hilton. He's cold because he's got knack all on. Oh, bless him. He was said to clean up anything that was untidy and make messes of things that were tidy. Jesus. So there's a bit of flipping around yeah, there, which yeah. I quite like. This is a bit of an interesting one, a bit of a, a throw off. The many hoons of Hawaiian folklore <laughs> have been compared to the brownies as well, seeing they are portrayed as a race of dwarf people who carry out work during night time. Have you ever seen that picture of that Hawaiian one where there's that lady jogging? Um, and the look back at the photo. Oh my fucking god, yes. It's fucking awful, isn't it? How awful is that yeah, picture? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll cover that story one time. In fact, we'll try, we'll try and get hold of it. You, you remind me of it. Yeah, That's please, because you, you that to do really stayed with is, me that. Basically what it is, it's, it's like, a, like a distance running race on Hawaii. <laughs> Um, where they have to run around a particular area. It's like, I mean, it's, it's mental. It's like a 60 mile yeah, race. It's yeah. endurance. And they're having to run through jungle. And. Um, these like cameras to show where people were. I think it's a mate with, with you know just oh, taking was it, yeah, yeah. mate took, taking snaps of her went with her really supporting her and that and just take that round you know, shot all the way around it and then just looking back. Have you seen the because one of the pictures it's it's I don't know you have it with your iPhone it's it can move can't it it's like for a second it can move. All oh, right. Have you seen this? No. It's a setting on your phone. Yeah, I've seen it on my phone. Have they got? Is that one yes. of them? Oh no! And you see the fucker move. Oh Jesus! <laughs> and it's bad enough anyway. It's like Swamp Thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's like, really Really it's terrifying. And he, one look at it and you think that's human like looking, but it in human you get a really funny feeling when you yeah, look at it. Oh, it's, it's, like, that is so, so one of the weirdest pictures. So we will cover this in a later edition mm. of Crack and Curve. But the, for now we'll stick with the brownie but yeah. yeah, I think the brownies are pretty creepy to be yeah, fair, yeah. you know what I mean? I think it's all a bit So the family cult of deceased ancestors in ancient times always centered around the hearth, the fireplace yeah. sort of thing, you know, which later became the place where offerings would be left for the brownie. And the most significant difference between brownies and lares is that while lares were permanently bound to the house in which they lived, brownies are seen as more mobile, capable of leaving or moving to another house if they became dissatisfied. Oh. So you fuck a brownie off and it'll, it'll go. <laughs> but um, So one, dis, uh, one story describes a brownie who left the house after the stingy housewife fired all the servants because the brownie was doing all the work and refused to return until all the servants had been rehired. Wow. Because it's a thing, you got yourself a domestic there yeah, doing all yeah. the bits and bats and bobs for free sort of thing. Yeah. Why pay a servant to do yeah, it for you? Yeah, you know? and like, wait a minute, don't take liberties, you know what I mean? It's yeah, my choice. It's that's yeah. it, you know. So in 1703, John Brand wrote his description of Shetland that not above 40 or 50 years ago, every family had a brownie or perhaps evil spirit, so-called, which served them, 
to which they gave a sacrifice for his service. As when they churned their milk, they took a part thereof and sprinkled every corner of the house with it. Wow. Just as you said, yeah, you were spot on yeah. with that. The brownies' use, likewise, when they... Uh, oh, they sprinkled every corner of the house with it for brownies' use. Yeah. Likewise, when they brewed, they had a stone which they called the brownie stain, or the brownie stone, wherein they was a little hole into which they poured some of the wort for a sacrifice to the brownie. Wow. Now the wort is the, uh, the the brewed liquid of beer which hasn't yet become fermented to become right. beer. It's the unbrewed yeah. like liquor, if yeah, you like. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> they also had some stacks of corn which they called brownie stacks, which though they were not bound with straw ropes or in any way fenced as other stacks used to be, yet the greatest storm of winds was not able to blow away straw off them. Oh, weird. It is weird, yeah. isn't it? It's almost as if they've been held together by the brownies' magic, right? And the recurring folklore of motif of gifts for clothes, gifts of clothing, right? It yeah. comes again and again and again amongst the, the brownies. But I don't know if you've ever seen the, the the story, the elves and the shoemaker. Oh yeah, that is a creepy one, yeah. right? But if you think about it, is the little shoemaker? Is he's, he's, he's nothing? He's going to close yeah. down. He's about to be destitute in the night. Some little creatures coming. It was yeah. make shoes. Now yeah. they they. They, they wait up, don't they? Have a little look at them, and the description of these little creatures are they're in tattered rags. Mm. And he's making loads, they're making loads of shoes all night long, they're cobbling away from her and everything. Yeah. And do you remember what it is that sent them away? No, oh, did he give them a gift then? The wife cut them little suits of clothes. Oh, yeah, and, and so the, she laid out these suits of clothes for these poor little things in rags, yeah. and they immediately put these little suits of clothes on and just left. Wow. And that was it. They were brownies. <gasps> oh, God, it's everywhere, isn't it? It is. And this is the thing. It keeps, it keeps getting more and more. And honestly, I have edited it down from page <laughs> after page after page of material I found on brownies. Wow. And it's also well documented. As far as people are concerned, brownies are just real. Like you talk about anything, you, yeah, you know, yeah. you, anything real. Unbelievable. So the first mention in English of a brownie disappearing after being presented with clothes comes from Book 4, Chapter 10 of Reginald Scott's The Discovery of Witchcraft, mm. published in 1584. Wow. Sometimes brownies are reported to recite couplets before disappearing. So one brownie from Scotland is said to have angrily declared, Red bricks and ruffled sark, you'll no get me to do your work. <laughs> oh, you liked it! <laughs> <laughs> And another brownie from Berwickshire is said to have declared, Give brownie a coat, give brownie a sark, he's getting a mer a brownie's work. Right? Wow. I don't know what a sark is. Sark. Sark. Shirt. I'd say shirt. That's, yeah, that's yeah, going to say a shirt. Yeah, coat and a shirt, I think so. But explanations differ regarding why brownies disappear when presented with clothes. But the most common explanation is that the brownie regards the gift of clothing as an insult. Yeah. Which you can sort of see in a way, because if you think, think of like the Scottish way, they're in a kilt kind of thing, they've got yeah. the legs out all the time, and think, ah, oh, I'm alright, me, I don't yeah. need the bloody way, I'm tough, me. Yeah. You can sort of see it, really. But one story from Lincolnshire, first recorded in 1891, attempts to rationalise the motif by making a brownie who is accustomed to being presented with linen shirts become enraged upon being, upon being presented with a shirt made of sackcloth. <laughs> the brownie in the story sings before disappearing. Harden, harden, harden hamp, I will neither grind nor stamp. Had you given me linen gear, I have served you many a year. Thrift may go, bad luck may stay. 
I shall travel far away. <laughs> so these little fellas are just sort of like, um, just as little poets as well, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. And things, you know. And apparently, the the cold lad of Hilton seems to have wanted clothes and to have been given, been grateful when he's been given them, yet still refused to stay after receiving them. That's a weird point, isn't it? That's a really weird point to all that. Well, the weird thing, it's almost like a banishing in a way. It's yeah. almost like a spell has been broken yeah. by 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 this gift of clothing. You know what I mean? Just well, wanted it. You know what I mean? Do they want to go? And apparently, when he was given clothes, a little cold lad, as he was yeah. called, he recited. Where's me? Where's me? The acorn is not yet fallen from the tree. That's to grow to the wood. That's to make the cradle. That's to rock the bairn. That's to grow to a man. That's to lay to me. So I don't really know what that uh, means. I that one. Clue what that no. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, when they gave him like a little green mantle and hood sort of thing, like a little mini cape, I believe a mantle yeah. is. He said, "Here's a cloak and here's a hood. The cold lad of Hilton will do no more good." <laughs> and he fucking hoofed <laughs> it, right? <laughs> What's all that about? It's all backwards, isn't it? Yeah, it's strange, mm. isn't it? Well, we'll just have a little look at this piece here now, or just a, a little bit of a, um, an addendum to this, which is, uh, especially in Yorkshire and Lancashire, mm. brownies are known as hobs due to their association with a hearth. Yeah. Like brownies, hobs would leave forever if presented with clothing. A hob in Runswick Bay in North Yorkshire was said to live in a natural cave known as the Hob Hole where parents would bring their children for the hob to cure them of their whooping cough. The Holman Clavel Inn in Somerset is also said to be inhabited by the mischievous hob named Charlie. The story was recorded by the folklorist R. L. Tung in 1964, immediately after he heard it from a woman who lived next door to the inn. Everyone in the locality knew about Charlie, and he was believed to sit on the beam of a Hollywood over the fire, which was known as the Clavy or Clavy. And once, when the woman was having dinner with a local farmer, the servant set the table at the inn with silver and linen. But as soon as they left the room and came back, Charlie had put all the table settings back where they had come from because he did not like the farmer she was meeting. <laughs> <laughs> this little monkey goes and puts it all <laughs> back. Really got the, the right, um, really moody in the way, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> well, you, well, you've just said it as far as I'm concerned. People seem to know exactly what a brownie's like. Yeah, yeah. Now, if they're saying that everybody used to have a brownie in the house and they all knew what they were like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody go, oh, yeah, you've got to be careful with your brownie because otherwise they'll do X, Y, Z sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Everybody knew it. And it, this gets me when I'm looking <laughs> it. It's just amazing <laughs> the amount of information that's out there. And it all corresponds the same. I suppose you're right, and it's still in our culture. Like, you're on about with your, you know, your missing washing thing. And I, if, uh, honestly, the remote controls, I'm always like, thinking, what the frick are they? You know yeah. what I mean? It just seems like certain things get moved and you do uh, automatically kind of blame it on them don't you, you know in, in my heart that's why I go to first who's taking that yeah, yeah yeah you just think who's taking that who's moved that why is that being moved but why I don't blame that? anybody else in house no. I think it's you know a little little spirit thing yeah you do sort of think yeah. it's like it's, someone's been playing mischief with yeah, you yeah definitely someone's you know. taking piss <laughs> that's it yeah someone's taking piss and basically it's, it's no. a brownie that's taking piss <laughs> little bastard <laughs> but that's what I like about them there's something about this Sort of quite a tame little household spirit, yeah, yeah. which is full of character and has always been a companion. And I think yeah. I think now it's like our houses are sterile affairs. Yeah, yeah, that perhaps we've just sort of dusted all the things out of the corners and out of the rooms. We just you won't but you won't splash milk in the corner of your house now, would no, you? Yeah, you know what I mean? Instinct, instinct, high heaven. Yeah, yeah. But, but then 
living was a lot more you weren't actually in your house as much either yeah, you yeah. know when you woke up in the morning you'd, get, you'd be outside yeah. and then you'd only be kind of really going back inside to sort of like eat and rest eat and rest you know so, you, so anything could be going on in there yeah. you could be little things you know scuttling around and doing <laughs> stuff you know and that's what I love about him I do love the I do love the little uh, the little brownie <laughs> you know what I mean but again as far as I'm concerned your brownie is a tough creature Basically, you know, these are all these are all little hairy guys, yeah. little things moving around and stuff like that. Mm. I think you got yourself a little gnome on the go there, you know. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dive back into the past with brownies and gnomes and historical context for these sort of creatures now, you know what I mean? Yeah. But they're just as prevalent now, if not more. What, than today? Today? <laughs> today, our kid! <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think people seeing things um, all the time. I genuinely think people seeing little things moving around, little creatures and stuff like that out of the corner, mm-hmm. right? I think they are. And if you are one of these people who are actually seeing anything please get in touch with Crack and Cove. If you want to get in touch, you can get in touch through crackandcovepodcast at gmail.com. That's the email address. We've got Twitter, which is at Crack and Cove. And we've got Instagram, which is at Crack and Cove Pod. Uh, the usual thing, if you want to get in touch through Facebook, it's increasingly easy for us to do that now. We'll get a little alert to do that. So just give a Google, uh, um, or just have a little search on Facebook for Crack and Cove. And give us a like. Uh, and get in touch, mm. just say hi. You know, yeah, we've got a good few people on there saying hi, so join the gang, <laughs> you know. But one of these things is, as I said before, we, you know, there's a lot of English sightings and things. Why do we take a little trip to Argentina? Modern day Argentina, Whoa. right? Because there's been quite a lot of stuff being sighted over there recently. And one of them, a big disappointment was uh, a Bigfoot sighting has been, no, <laughs> has, has been debunked. Oh, and nuts. it's now been known as the incident known as the Big Rubberfoot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see what happened there. <laughs> right? And this is from. Uh, Chris Mitzitsky for CNET magazine, right, right, online. And he said, like, you know, he's a bit of a shocker about the old Bigfoot thing not being really right. <laughs> he says, however, one is duty bound to report that there has been another sighting of an equally disturbing meta human phenomenon the creepy gnome. <laughs> the creeping the or the creepy, creepy, creepy gnome. <laughs> so the creepy gnome first materialised in March. Teenagers who were hanging out in a general Guemes in the Argentinian province of Salta used their cell phones to capture a peculiar short creature with a pointed head and a strange sideways gait. Mm-hmm. Right? Now this is sort of like something I've heard before about sideways or alternative moving in strange creatures. Wow, like so a crab type of thing. So. A bit like that. Oh. Would you like to see it? Oh, is the actual camera... Oh, hey, yes, yeah. please. Right, I'm going to show you the movie now. Oh, Are you ready wait. for this? Right? Yes. I mean, this is sort of like the phone footage. It's a little bit bit rough and ready. But what we're seeing first is just a bunch of kids all hanging out in the dark. Sort of oh, thing. Yeah. Typical park kind of situation, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. They're all just recording his mates, all fanny around, putting his hood up and messing about. And you can just hear them. Now, they're all talking, they've seen something. Oh, 
and I've seen something creeping around. I've moved the camera now to find it out. Yeah. I'm focusing in. Oh. What the hell is that? What's this? Oh shit. Oh what the fuck is that? Oh that's disgusting. <laughs> that's proper like you said pointy head or hat, you know what I mean? Walking it's a inside. Fucking gnome, isn't it, it is. That's a fucking moving gnome. Oh. <laughs> wait, that's brilliant. It's that's good, one of the best it? footage ever. And you can just see how short it ain't big. That is not a child. It's no. not. A but it's that dog. height and build and physique. It of it. is, isn't it? Just everything but is enough. You couldn't pretend to be it. It's oh my god! Because the size of it. And everything. Oh. <laughs> that's oh, that's some of the best footage ever. That's brilliant. So at the time, Jose Alvarez, who shot the film, said, "We looked to one side and saw that the grass was moving." To begin with, we thought it was a dog, but when we saw this gnome-like figure began to emerge, we were really afraid. And last week, Juan Carlos Roldan, also coincidentally a teenager, was out with his friends in Clodomira when a very similar gnome-like being sidled sideways across the town square. Ugh. It's the same sort of thing. He says it was a person of incredibly low stature. We filmed it, then got scared and ran off. This little thing was barking like a dog, but running sideways on two legs. It headed off towards the football stadium. So we've had a little look now, and we're looking for the Clodomera sighting of these gnomes now. <laughs> I'm freaking out with this Now, this, this particular video's got a bit of a sinister soundtrack to it, which is a bit of shit, but, you know, let's have a little look. Oh. Strikes again. So you've seen a couple of kids arsing around, having like a bit of a dance in the, in the town square. Just mess about. They're practicing dancing moves, which yeah, is quite nice actually. Kids, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And then what? They've seen oh, something. Jesus Christ! It's, it's the fucking same thing. It's a little uh, dancing gnome, and it's going sideways. Look at that human! It, it's tiny. It's too tiny to be. Oh, it's going towards him. Uh, it is well creepy. Oh bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> hell is that that is not an animal 100% not an animal that's a human game you know that's how it's walking but weirdly sideways oh my god <laughs> yeah so more and more these sightings of sort of like of um uh gnomes have been seen all over like south america <laughs> so it's like but then again if you, if you think about it they, they can travel through the earth like a fish yeah. through water but they're just burrowed there man they could have just lived there anyway they're burrowing all over the place could be gnomes all over the shop you Jesus, know that's really good that's so <laughs> funny there's gnome footage that's mental <laughs> <laughs> so but this is it you see there's more uh. and more sightings of gnomes <laughs> And I think this is what probably takes us now. What we need to do is investigate the most famous gnome sighting of all time. What? What? So this is the last one yeah. now. So it's, it's that time already. It's technically <laughs> that time already. You know what I mean? So, but this is actually the story that put me down the gnome rabbit hole, <laughs> as it were, right? And this is um, by our 
one of our favourites. I mean, it's all over the place, is this story, when you know where to look for it, right? Yeah. But this is one from uh, our friend that we've had before, Brett Swanser from uh, Swanser from Mysterious Universe. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. we've gone there before. Great. I, I can't recommend them highly enough. Get on there. Yeah. It's, it's a great way of a wet afternoon. Just yeah. get yourself, <laughs> let yourself drop down a rabbit hole. It's excellent. And this is the Mysterious Gnomes of Woolerton Park. Ooh. Now, for me, this is an incident of high strangeness. Yeah, right? yeah. To many, it may seem as though things such as fairies and gnomes will surely stand firmly entrenched in the realms of fairy tales and fiction. After all, how could such odd beings ever possibly be real? To think so would be absurd, wouldn't it? Yet there are countless reports from all over the world from people being dis who describe seeing what can only be described as the typical storybook version of these beings, complete with leggings, beards and pointy hats, and one of the more widely known such modern day accounts was made at a quaint little park in England. Truly one of the oddest cases of gnome encounters occurred in 1979 at the quiet Verdon Woolerton Park, Nottingham, England. Known for its expanses of tree-dotted green and the magnificence Woolerton Hall, which was used in the film The Dark Knight Rises. So that was basically the <laughs> home of Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and it was here that on the October the 29th, 1979, a group of school children by the name of Angie, her brother Glenn, her sister Julie, as well as Andrew and Rosie, who were brother and sister, and a boy called Patrick... So this is quite yeah, the gang, gang we've got here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All of whom ranged in ages from 8 to 10 years and were out wandering around in the late afternoon hours as the sun began to dim and as the day began to come to a close. Mm. Right. So this is 1979. Kids yeah. down the park, having a play, <laughs> climbing trees, yeah. carrying on. Last bit of fun before dark. Exactly. It's almost time for two up for tea yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. You know, fish fingers and chips. <laughs> 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 Some things never change. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Realising that they soon had to get on their way home, they nevertheless had the curiosity peaked when they reportedly came to a fenced-off area of murky, overgrown swampland near the lake that was closed to the public. Mm -hmm. Now, being kids, the fence and the sign warning people to keep out might as well have been an open invitation to come on in, <laughs> and the children decided to sneak in to poke around this forbidden treasure. <laughs> now then, upon entering the children would claim that they soon heard the chime of a bell, after which they had come across a group of dozens of tiny little men about half their own height, who had deeply wrinkled faces and spotted lush white beards with red tips. On their heads were strange little pointed caps described as looking sort of like nightcaps with bobbles on the end, and their clothing was composed of yellow or green tights and blue shirts. Oh man, this is classic. Strangest of all is that the children claim the curious little men drove around in miniature bubble-like cars. had <laughs> 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 no steering wheels, bells instead of horns, and which produced no engine sounds, yet sped around at high speeds. <laughs> 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 and this. could easily jump over and evade obstacles. Wow. Basically, it's a known version of Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> According to the children, there are about 30 of these unusual mini vehicles, with two of the gnomes riding in each, laughing joyously huh? and gleefully whizzing about, and even on occasion, 
playfully chasing or making passes at the startled witnesses. Huh. So the whizzing claws and all that. Absolutely. One of the witnesses would describe them. We heard this tinkly little bell. We started running and these little men came out of the bushes. There were about 60 of them in 30 cars like bubble cars. They were half my size and looked old. They had greenish faces with crinkles in them and long white beards with a bit of red on the end. They were laughing in a funny way and driving over swamps near the lake. <laughs> we were frightened and ran to the gate. I don't think they liked the lights outside because they didn't follow us to the street. Uh-huh. So the children claimed they'd spent about 15 minutes watching the bizarre figures cavort and drive around the swamp before they finally <laughs> left That's the right no, That's crazy! <laughs> But the school headmaster, I mean, basically what they did, they went home and told everybody about it. They didn't keep it to themselves, they told the headmaster and everything like that. And apparently it was causing a bit of a commotion at school. So the school headmaster sort of said, right, let's try and get to the bottom of this. And he he, he sort of interrogated all the kids in turn, right? And he says that to a certain extent he thinks we're telling the truth. Wow. They've seen something. I guess the kids, you could easily, you know, you get them separated and grilled each one of them, interrogated them. If it's a lie, you know, you've got to get to the bottom of it quickly. And he's recorded what their accounts were. And he said, I think the tape reveals the wide measure of corroboration between the children, as well as the fluency with which they were able to describe the events. I remain sceptical as to the explanation of what they saw. But I am also convinced that the children were describing a real occurrence. Wow. So he doesn't know what it is. He's sceptical as to think, well, was it gnomes in bubble cars or was it something else? He's thinking, it's probably something else, but it's something absolutely weird. And despite wide-ranging scepticism, the tale of the Woolton Fairies made headlines in the news at the time. And oddly, more people came forward with their own sightings of the same thing in the area. One such sighting was written in Janet Board's book, fairies, real encounters with little people, which she writes of thus. Over six years before the Woolton fairies were reported in the media, I had corresponded with Marina Fry of Cornwall, who wrote to me giving details of her own fairy sighting when she was nearly four years old, around 1940. Mm -hmm. One night, she and her older sisters, all sleeping in one bedroom, awoke to hear a buzzing noise. (laughs) (laughs) One sister said music and bells Looking out the window They saw a tiny little man In a tiny red car Driving round and round in circles (laughs) (laughs) Like Noddy He said he was about 18 inches tall And had a white beard and a droopy pointed hat He just disappeared After a while (laughs) His little red car His little red (laughs) car This is it so, author and researcher and former secretary of the Nottingham-based Fairy Investigation Society. <laughs> now, I'm just going to quickly point that out there. In the area, this, this, there's enough fairy sightings to warrant, warrant an investigation yeah. society. My God. Right, Marjorie Johnson, she, she also confirmed that there have been various other sightings of bubble car driving gnomes in the Walton Park area, bubble in car. particular near the lake. <laughs> and wrote these in her book, Seeing Fairies. One sighting was made by a Mrs. C. George, who sighted the gnomes playing about by the park gates with their cars parked to the side. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. In still another, a Mrs. Brown claimed to have been guided around the park by the gnomes in a sort of game, Mm. wherein they would reward her with a feather at each checkpoint they reached. In yet another encounter, 
A Jean Dixon claimed she had witnessed gnomes roaming around the park who seemed eager to show her their abode. Interestingly, Johnson had her own sighting of gnomes in the early 1900s when she claims that she spied several tiny men about three feet high in height frolicking around dressed as policemen. This <laughs> <laughs> is trippy, is it? Like? As recently as 2016, there have been known phenomena in the park, such as news reports at the Park Herald that railways in the area had been haunted by the miniature humanoids, to the point that they interrupted services on trains running from Nottingham Station to London St Pancras, and was being blamed on these little known menaces. <laughs> One witness named Daniel Sedgwick saw a gnome lurking around a train embankment, and he said... All of a sudden, I caught a glimpse of five small hat-wearing creatures tearing down the side of the embankment <laughs> just after passing through Attenborough. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As to whether these creatures pose any threat to people in the area, a professor of gnomic studies named <laughs> Professor Gregory Landau put people's mind at ease. <laughs> this is getting crazy, man. I don't get it. What a rabbit hole. It's mental. Gnome, this is what uh, Professor Gregory Landau of Gnomic Studies says. He says, Gnomes are traditionally benign in attitude and general behaviour. To be honest, they consider courtesy and discretion to be amongst the highest attributes of their social code. There are handfuls of unconfirmed writings pertaining to a certain suborder, castigated from Gnomic society, who are renowned for mischief and borderline thuggery. <laughs> As for Gnomes attacking people, there have never been any documented occurrences. In recent times, there have been a resurgence in interest in the case when writer and historian Dr. Simon Young expressed interest in reinvigorating the case by bringing together witnesses again. So he wanted to get all the kids together to sort of yeah, corroborate yeah. their evidence, right? And Young says of this, the experience was interesting in several respects. There are many instances of children coming face to face with fairies, but I know none where six saw the fae, or you yeah, know, yeah. the thing together, strange together. So many experiences depend on a single shaky witness or poor chain of custody for the evidence. This is not the case at Woolerton. So there you have it. Jesus, that is a lot. Especially <laughs> the video, for two video footages of it. And But then, as I said, we, we were seeing bubble cars of gnomes in the Woolton Park area. And, and then he's coming, yeah, I've seen those gnomes in the bubble cars. What's I, going I on I there? don't know, but like you said, it, it, it goes back 2,000 years to Romans, and it's like, it's still alive and here, yeah, now in modern times. And it's back of a subconscious is when I lose my remote control. And exactly. <laughs> it's like, Christ almighty, there's more to these gnomes. That's so, bizarre. As we now know, the gnomes are among us. Wow. And they all, perhaps always have been. God, and always will be. Always will be. They are, especially now we've got a garden full of them. I'm going to go leg them all in sea. <laughs> <laughs> fucking scared. <laughs> well, you never know. There might be a tinkling of bells, mm. and they might have just all whizzed off in the little bubble car somewhere. Well, could, have done, could have done washing up for us, couldn't they? I know, that's it. You see, That'd maybe nice. what we need to do now, maybe what we need to do is just flash a bit of milk about and a little yeah, something yeah. by the hearth. Maybe we'll make a little sacrifice to the gnomes, and they might yeah. be good to us. Might be, like I said, they're all washing up and sorting shit out. That'd be nice. I don't want no trouble. Yeah, we don't need a remote control. We've got a gnome to take tally over for us, do we? That'd be it. Yeah. Two! <laughs> So there we have it, people. A bit of a gnome special. That was brilliant, Arky. That was absolutely... I was thinking, how's he going to pan a whole episode with gnomes? And he did, and there's leftovers. I know they said we could do we could do another episode on just... Well, we could do another episode just on brownies. Another, another little creatures like that. It's just yeah. mental. That is it. 
Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. <laughs> well done. Well, I hope you did as well, listeners. Um, we will be obviously trying to get as much uh, crack and cover as possible yeah, out there. It's getting know. hard, isn't it? It's bloody getting hard. It is getting very difficult. But thank you for listening. And it's going to be. Well, let's just say goodbye now, shall yeah, we? Isn't you know it? I mean? That's it. Oh, you changed format. Do the format. I have to say a bigger bye bye from Benny. All right then. So, what I'll say now is a big goodbye from Matt. <laughs> and it's a bigger bye bye from Benny. <laughs> See you Take later, care, guys. guys. There are three ways you may contact Kraken Cove. Either by email at podcast at gmail.com on Twitter at Kraken Cove or Instagram at Kraken Cove Pod. Ha ha!